Welcome to Welcome to Primetime, a show covering the Freddy Krueger-hosted anthology series, Freddy's Nightmares, one episode at a time. I'm Brennan Klein. Every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. You get one new episode for every donation. Please help us keep going by giving to the Okra Project, an organization that is working to feed black trans people in need. You can donate through the link in the show notes, take a screenshot of your receipt, and send it to w2ptpod at gmail.com, which you can also find in the show notes. Or DM it to me on social media. Our patron this, uh, today is Jade Reed Yankowski, and our guest once again, illustrious filmmaker Parker Brennan. <laughs> Welcome back. Illustrious is the adjective you use to describe me. That's very <laughs> flattering. Yes. I mean, you look, it, people who listened to the previous episode will know that you're really you know, painting a word picture with your voice. <laughs> um, so... Too bad the voice isn't of better quality, but I do the best I can, children. What do you mean? Your voice is great. Oh, you know. I, it's not as good as Sherry Gamble. We're going to get to her oh. later. Oh, we're going to get there. Let's just, can we just skip there right now? Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about Billy first. Oh, God. Men. Um, <laughs> this is the man episode, everyone. Yeah, it's called, uh, well, season one, episode eight, Mother's Day. And we're going to spend a lot of time with this cho- this boy. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so original air date was November 27th, 1988. Here's what you could have watched in theaters instead. You could have watched Cocoon, The Return, which I forgot was a thing. Um, Oh, it's so weird. Did you watch the trailer for it? No, I didn't. Tell me about it. It had the strangest visual effects element. It was like this little meteor ball flying around in a restaurant. I've never heard of this Cocoon movie, but I am intrigued, I guess. Oh, did you not know about the first Cocoon at all? No, no. Or just not the sequel? I didn't oh, know well, anything. Cocoon is like this kind of... Look, I haven't seen it, but it's about a bunch of old people who I think discover an alien cocoon that's like a fountain of youth that makes them young again. Oh, the director of that movie needed it because I looked at his IMDb profile pic and that was scary. Of, of Cocoon the Return or of Cocoon? The Return. Oh, okay. Yes. I didn't... If anyone listening is related to that director, I am sorry for insulting him. <laughs> um, look, sometimes people have bad angles and sometimes people pick those angles for their profile pictures and I will never understand. Yeah, you know, he could, I'm sure he has nicer pictures out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, so you could have also watched Scrooged, which I'm I'm sure you've heard about. <laughs> yeah, I actually haven't seen it though. No, nor have I. I'm not the world's biggest Bill Murray fan. I think he's for straight people. Yeah, but I did. So what intrigued me, Carol Kane is in it. Uh, It was directed. Yeah, she's great. And it's directed by Richard Donner, who directed The Goonies and The Omen. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that that man has had such a career because he also did the first Superman movie. So he just all over the place and produced The Lost Boys. More horror trivia. I'm I'm so look I'm I every guest brings something unique to the table, but I'm so glad that this is what you are bringing to the table. <laughs> you are prepared as hell. Copious amounts of research, my dear. You watched the trailer for Cocoon: The Return. I didn't even do that. <laughs> I had to find out if I'd want to watch it, and I th- I think I would rather watch Freddy's Nightmares than, but I would be interested in Cocoon: The Return. Yeah, you'd rent it at a uh, at Blockbuster later. Yeah. Um, okay, so the writer of this episode is David Ehrman, who co-wrote the pilot. The director is Michael Lang, who's like a pretty big TV director. Oh my god, yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Drop Dead Diva, uh, The X-Files. 
It also Bones, the OC, Dawson's Creek, and Criminal he also produced uh, Greek. Yeah, he's a big deal. Yeah, it's it's interesting how many people became like a pretty big deal in TV after this show. Yeah. Oh, and he did second unit direction for Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, <gasps> classic cult cinema. Yes. Look, we have to find the queer connections wherever we can in this show. Yes. And it's actually not that difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's amazing. The, some interesting actors, too. Oh, yeah. And included in the cast of this episode is Elizabeth Savage, who is not someone I was familiar with, but she was in an episode of Murder, She Wrote, playing a character named Mavis Kruger. So I had to bring yeah. that up. <laughs> I love that name. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Jill Whitlow, who had small roles in Weird Science and Porky's. And, and Night then... of the Creeps. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I missed that. That is fun horror trivia. Yeah, Night of the Creeps is such a great movie. Yeah, I need to watch it. I've seen it twice, but it's been a while, so I am due for a rewatch, but I remember it being a gem. Yeah, I made my family watch it on my birthday a couple years ago, and they were unenthused, but I was Aww. having a great time. Okay, at least there's that. Yeah. Um, and then also Judith Baldwin, who is best known as the replacement Ginger in the Gilligan's Island movies. Oh, is that what she's best known for? Because I, I saw she was in Pretty Woman and the Stepford Wives, but at TV, yeah, she would be better known for that, I think. Oh, yeah. And well, because like the Stepford Wives is obviously a huge thing, but she's very far down the cast list and I didn't specifically recognize her. Uh, well, she's even, uh, this is like another deep cut, I'm sorry, but this she's even further down the list in this movie called X-Ray that I actually really like. That's why I'm bringing it up. She just plays like a nurse at a desk in that movie. But Wait, Is it uh, the, the 80s one? Yeah. So it's like, like the, Hospital Massacre, right? The other title? Right, yeah. It's Hospital Massacre on Letterboxd, I saw, but um, also known as X-Ray, and I think that movie is a gem. That movie is surreal. Yeah. Um, it the the weird <laughs> ghostly quality of that second floor with the like termite gas floating through it the whole time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the whole floor is being fumigated and there's like these elderly women in the hospital who just keep going up there walking around like the fog of fumigation and they just yes. love it. It's like it is very twin peaks. It is it may, it is bizarre. Mhm. So I recommend if you folks out there listening to like uh, are looking for a deep dive into some 80s slasher stuff x-ray slash hospital massacre yeah and screen factory put that out so i think on a double feature with uh something yeah i'm sure it could go with another hospital horror mm. um i'm gonna look that up really quick um but yes yeah, so this episode it's called mother's day we're gonna get into the plot it's gonna be great um basically (laughs) um so it starts with you know billy hastings he's shooting video of his new house they just moved to springwood um he's introducing us to his new stepdad who loves hunting photography records basically everything but mainly being abusive god um yeah so he has all these like you know animal heads on the walls he has the classic living room bear trap that all hunters have. The, um, the mom knocks over a box. The bear trap falls out. And she's like, ow, we've talked about this. You can't have that in the house. Yeah. And, and then they just proceed to leave it there for the rest of the day. 
Yeah, and there was a really great, like, melodramatic music cue when the bear trap fell out. That was, like, a crowning moment of this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, so we do learn that Al hates Billy touching his stuff. And then we go into a uh, the dark room of the photography studio because Al really loves his hobbies. And I appreciate a man with multiple passions. But you're right. One of the passions is being incredibly abusive to his wife and stepson. So I don't not I don't love Al. No, um, he's awful. And when when he goes in that little room, uh, I, I don't want to spoil it if you're about to say it. But this little glowing <laughs> Freddy pops up and I need you to tell me what he said. I could not figure it out. Well, I think he says, this family portrait is about to have a revolting development. Oh my god, is that it? I listened three times and I never figured it out, so thank you for reviewing that. Yeah, well, no, what he should be saying is, help me, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope, because he looks like (laughs) little tiny Princess Leia hologram. I know, it was so weird. Little tiny Freddy in the dark room. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually it's a solid two layer pun, but you can't hear it. Um, but it at least sort of has something to do with the episode, so I'll I'll accept it. Um, yeah. Okay, really quick, that X Ray Blu Ray. It's a double feature with Schizoid, which is a a movie about a a guy who murders women with a pair of scissors, and it stars uh, Klaus Kinski and a very young Christopher Lloyd. Oh wow! I don't think I've even heard of that one. It is not the best, but it, it's definitely an interesting curio. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, so um, Al and Billy's mom are leaving. It is Mother's Day, but it's also their hu- honeymoon. Um, so they're leaving to go on this honeymoon. Um, Al has given a strict order to not touch any of his things. And the house is 99% his things. Yeah. Um, the mom's like, this is, or what'd she say? She's like, um, Al bought us the house. She's all in it for his money. Al is, Al is paying for everything. Oh yeah. Al is irrelevant, but she's like, well, I did this for us so we could finally have a house. And I'm like, where did you live before? I, I truly don't know, but she makes it sound like they lived under a bridge. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I doubt it was that bad. I don't think she needed to marry Al. She could have done better, but this is where we are. Yeah, it was probably just an apartment, which is fine. I live in one. I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, she she had that big 80s hair. She couldn't be too poor. Yeah, hair dreams as big as her hair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so as they're leaving, like the car, the car pulls away, and Billy sees his sexy side pony neighbor, Barbara, washing her car, which is <sighs> the sexiest activity. Um, yeah, I just wrote object of desire introduced. Yep. Um, she comes over to say hi. She reveals that one of Freddy's last victims lived in this house. And I don't know who, I don't know if that's a reference to, I don't, I don't know like where the time, I don't know. I'm just going to assume it's Johnny Depp's house, but it, it was, it is unclear to me. Yeah, I wasn't sure either. She just says, like, that some kid died there and Freddy killed him. Yeah, which, sure, who cares? Um, but Barbara, she has a voice. She sounds like if Sarah Silverman, like, sent her DNA to one of those things and found out that she had 3% Jennifer Tilly DNA and was trying to, like, Ooh. lean in to her culture. <laughs> like, that's what her voice sounds like. Yeah, I like that description. I wish I had 3% Jennifer Tilly. Oh, God. To have any amount of Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, even, like, zero point. Yeah, I'll take it. 
Um, so we have this very 80s joke where um, Billy compares Al to Ayatollah. Yeah, I actually, being my young self, I had to look that up. And I, I guess that in the time was like an, a way to just very clearly say like it's an authoritarian figure. But I did not know what he was talking about. Um, you mean you haven't heard the immortal Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire, where he he says, and I quote, Ayatollahs in Iran, Russians in Afghanistan? I have heard this song, lyrics flew over my head. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so basically, Barbara is grounded. She's not allowed to throw a party at her house, so she wants to come into Billy's house to throw a party. Um, she ends up, they they go into his photography studio which is very much set up like a mall like family portrait studio oh it's the most 80s thing ever brennan there is a spiral staircase shelf with stuffed (laughs) animals on each tier of the shelf there is a school photo shoot backdrop that i would describe as cloudy gray yeah it's that speckled kind of charcoaly particle board Yes, and then you get Barbara in front of it in, like, this frilly, skimpy 80s outfit, and it just blew my mind. Yeah, and also, he introduces it by saying that Al is a wildlife photographer, and I'm like, does he just bring, like, a bison in here into this, like, (laughs) school portrait studio? Well, there was a unicorn on that shelf. Maybe that's the wildlife he's photographing. (laughs) Maybe it is. Well, we also find out that the wildlife is a little bit uh, Billy's mom, because he finds some sexy photos in the dark room. (laughs) I know, that was the blossoming of their relationship before they got married. Oh, God. Um, he also has a little dream. Oh, he, like, falls asleep at one point on the couch. And so, of course, we're like, well, which part of this is a dream? Definitely part of it is that he sees Barbara drowned in a tub, and she drags him into the tub. Um, but then he wakes up, and Barbara's like, where did you go? I couldn't find you. One of the worst transitions, once again, I like to talk about the bad transitions. Uh, they, like, allow for a commercial break because he sees Barbara in the tub. So there's, mm-hmm. like, the fade to black. And then when it comes back up, she just sort of pops out like, oh, hey, Billy. And <laughs> I just thought this is weak. Yeah, and they probably were hoping that during the commercials you forgot exactly how <laughs> it all happened. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, because there would have been, like, a minute. Maybe our minds would have gotten fuzzy. Yeah. Um, you know, you're too busy thinking about all those cool, like, Burger King toys you were going to get. Um, <laughs> so the party starts. Obviously, a million teenagers show up, including Jack, who seems to be Barbara's boyfriend. And he's definitely, like, very Hitler youth kind of guy. Oh, my gosh. He's, like, so I know that they're setting him up to be a douchebag, like, obviously. But he walks into this house. He grabs a record throws it on the ground and says to Billy who lives there like ever heard of CDs <laughs> who and does Billy's, that yeah and Billy's very clear like don't touch any of this stuff it's not mine obviously the party trashes the house and i do think i do think this show is at its best when it is like lightly exaggerating normal fears of the teenage mind including like you know this party and you know how are you going to get away with it with your stepdad and like that's a neat kind of stress that they're playing on, but it goes on for way too long. Um, yeah. It is a every- trip into the psyche of a teen boy. Which, who needs that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the party obviously goes horribly awry. Everything's broken. Al arrives. He gets mad. He's about to destroy Billy. Um, oh, we're going to get a really, really good moment coming up. Oh, yeah. No, Billy kind of pushes him over the couch, and his head falls into that living room bear <laughs> trap that nobody picked up. 
<laughs> right into the bear trap. And there is a really solid blood goosh in this moment. Because <laughs> um, this show tends to be not too bloody gory because, you know, it's a network television show. But the, the kind of carotid moment was beautiful. <laughs> it, it was really kind of an excellent comedic moment for me. Because just so Billy is in the situation where he's trashed his stepdad's house and he pushes him into a bear trap. I don't think that's how I would react if I like ruined someone's house, but it, and they just zoom in on his bloody head. Uh, <laughs> it was great. It's iconic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then his mom comes back. She sees that Al's head is on the wall and Billy is like, it was an accident. And I'm like, it was not an accident that you cleaned and stuffed the severed head, but sure. <laughs> Yes, um, definitely not an accident. And mom is into it. She, this is, I mean, this is a dream sequence, of course, but she just like hovers over him. She's like, this is great. <laughs> yeah, she's like, now we have the house and we don't have to deal with Al. Did you, did you think that she was about to make out with Billy? Oh, yeah. I wrote big incest energy. Yes. Okay, good. Because I was like, I hope I'm not just, you know whatever um it was the energy was so strong that even though it didn't happen i can imagine like i'm they may as well have made out because in my mind they did it is so deeply sexually tense in this moment that yeah it 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 it, it's off screen but it happened um but anyway so he keeps waking up and he keeps it's all these like dream gags where the family keeps coming home and discovering different things (sighs) basically barbara thinks he's sick so she makes him go to bed. She's bringing him tea, but he sees her as Al on a rampage. So he oh falls gosh. out of a window. I, I know you're on a roll. I'm so sorry. sorry I have to it. backtrack. My favorite line, and I mentioned earlier that I loved like a few of the lines, but here is my number one favorite okay. of the episode. So um, it was Billy's lying on the bed. Barbara's naked on top of him. The mom comes in. And Barbara says, I came to borrow the phone. And the mom shouts, and instead you borrowed my son. (laughs) That is a really great moment. Oh, yeah, I totally, you're right. I shouldn't have skipped over just Barbara tending to him naked, basically. (laughs) It was, and she's like, I'll go fix you something to eat, just furthering the male fantasy. Like, yeah, I had to write some things down here. No, thank you for thank you for stopping my steamrolling. Because like, look, <laughs> we both want to get to Dr. Sherry Gamble. I know, um, but we cannot we cannot have skipped that line. So you made the right move. I only wrote down like one other thing for this whole section of the episode. So you can go ahead back to steamrolling. Well, here I mean I'll wrap it up and you can say your thing. Um, basically, nice. Billy falls out of the window in front of the car as his parents pull up, or you know, mom and stepdad, and Al dies of a heart attack. Um, sure. And then we're back in Freddy's liminal space. There's a someone. There's a phone that he disconnects the line with his claw, and he says, "I think the honeymoon is over." <laughs> yes, uh, and Al's face there at the very end, like his heart attack face, is really something to behold. That I mean, that's the only other thing I wanted to linger on. <laughs> it's it's very extremely special for sure. Yeah, like it, just the mo- the mom looks at Billy and then to Al, and they just zoom in on him, and she's like, "He had a heart attack." It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, and honestly, I think Billy might actually be no. Billy does die because we find out that Barbara is 
like under suspicion for his death because the cops yes. don't know what happened. And that brings us to the second half of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, radio psychologist advice person Sherry Gamble, who we did briefly <laughs> see um, because Billy called into her show in the previous uh, section. Yeah, and they they didn't even reveal her whole the glory of her face. They just showed her red painted lips, and she said a few mean things to Billy. Yeah, she's she's famous for being like the kind of blunt, straight talk kind of radio personality. Um, yeah. So she's Barbara's mom, and she is a a true grand dam, <laughs> ultra conservative, giant red outfit with giant hair. Yeah, just. Uh, any any part of her outfit that she looks at, she goes, mm, make it bigger. <laughs> I think so. But I, I did... Uh, she's probably the standout of this episode, for sure. Oh, 100%. Um, she reminds me a lot of the nurse in episode two, where she just... She goes big, and she doesn't go home. <laughs> um, she just keeps going. Oh, yeah. And, so, if, and if her kid asks her to come home, she'll tell her to fuck off. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, Freddie shows up in the sound booth. He says, she's about to be canceled. Too much dead air. Um, mm-hmm. So Barbara's trying to call her mom, but her sound engineer's like, look, Barbara, you know the rules. Like, you got to wait till the end of the show. But Barbara's like, well, mom doesn't talk to me then anyway, either. Um, so she basically calls her mom under a fake name. She calls herself Wendy, even though she has an iconic voice that her mom should recognize. <laughs> Um, oh and it's so weird so barbara calls in first she's talking to this like sound engineer uh assistant or i'm not sure what his job title is and she changes she like says i want to talk to my mom he says no hangs up she calls again using the same voice yeah not even trying says i'm wendy and he says okay sends the call over to uh sherry and Sherry doesn't recognize her own daughter's undisguised voice. Even when she specifically outlines, like, her mom has been married three times and ignores yes. her all the time. She's not like, oh, that seems similar to me. It's like, no, she just never makes the connection. No. And she so Barbara ends the call with, like, the big reveal. Thanks, mom. To indicate, like, Sherry now knows who she's been talking to. But it's just like, girl... Yeah, Sherry, look, Sherry's too wrapped up in her job and in making her voice as loud as possible. Um, yeah. But basically, yeah, uh, Barbara's like, look, I'm in trouble with the police and I need to ask my mom for help, but she doesn't really listen to me. And her mom's like, well, she doesn't care about you. You're basically an orphan. Just make your own decisions. <laughs> You're going to, I'm going to have to assign you to do the Sherry voices. <laughs> okay, thank you. I, gladly. <laughs> yeah, that was great. And, um, oh, she has, so Sherry has one other line that I needed to talk about. Um, she, it, it, um, at some point she's talking to someone who was pregnant and she's like, oh, like, well, you're going to have to give the child up for adoption because she's so conservative. She can't consider abortion. And, um, this sound engineer makes like some little quip and Sherry says to him, like, if you were pregnant, I'd call the circus. And she like takes a deep drag of her cigarette and like to punctuate, let the audience have a chance to laugh. Oh Oh. yeah. No, (laughs) she is, she has a quip ready for every situation in her life. Um, so yeah, a man calls, his name is Paul. He basically says like, 
I'm in a tight spot. I can't get a job. And she's like, why can't you just buy a job? Reaganomics. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so he's like, well, my landlord's here trying, coming to kick me out of the house, or the apartment. And he's about to shoot him. And he's like, tell me not to shoot him. And she's like, I don't have time for this. Do what you want. Right. Um, and then he goes ahead and does it. Yeah, he sure does. Um, and this is the point where if this was the episode, it would be really, really good. Um, if But then it becomes, you know, another Freddy situation of like a bunch of dream gags and the dreams are kind of exercising her guilt about this. And it's fine, but I wish it was a more tense if this moment was drawn out into like a whole episode of like creepy collar in the radio show. Um, right. the The rest of the episode is just so fast paced, and it's just like these quick, like dream, 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 and it uh, it does kind of feel like not the best structure. I will say, I wasn't bored. Yes. No. It, it's definitely it's entertaining. It just it could have been more solid and well thought out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like any of these episodes, so. Then basically the next caller is the landlord's wife who's like, you gave him bad <laughs> advice and now he's dead. Um, we, we need to examine this. It, so let's imagine, I want you to imagine, Brennan, that you are married. Okay. <laughs> and you happen to be knitting, you know, you're enjoying your afternoon, listening to the radio. You hear the radio suggests that some dude shoots somebody and it's your husband. Is your first thought to call the woman on the radio who just like didn't even care? <laughs> Um, I don't think it would be, <laughs> I think it would be lots of crying and then maybe like trying to, I don't know, like if I wanted to go full, um, uh, the mom from the last episode, like maybe try to hide evidence of the crime and be like, oh, nothing happened. It's fine. Um, I would not be immediately calling. No, it was so weird. Um, but yeah, then, uh, Sherry Gamble cuts to commercial and the commercial is a commercial for, uh, beefy boy burgers, which was the, uh, featured, uh, location in episode two, which is mm. the first, the first real like tie in we've gotten with the world of Springwood, like in this show. Mm, yeah. And Springwood is supposedly in Ohio. I actually had to look up is Springwood a real place? <laughs> because of uh, the person I'm like kind of dating right now is from Springfield, Ohio. So oh. I really got like tripped up. Uh, well, for congratulations, first of all. But yeah, no, Springwood, not a real place, but um, I think it, it, it sounds so real and that's why it's effective. Like in the Elm Street universe, maybe not necessarily this show. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... I do like that they're tying in with this fictional town and making it more of a real place. Mm-hmm. Um, Beefy boy burgers. Yeah. They should have like super muscly, good looking men serve the burgers. They should, but instead they have a uh, twinkie John Cameron Mitchell. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you know, good too. <laughs> um, but so basically Dr. Shara Gamble gets sent to jail. Um, she makes a bunch of phone calls with the little uh, animal crossing voice on the other end. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, was Barbara not on set that day? Or <laughs> Yeah, I'm unclear because they do that in cartoons and stuff. Um, just having the voice on the other end be like, <laughs> but to do it in a live action show is always a wild choice and always the wrong choice. Yes, that stood out to me too. I just, I assumed like they couldn't get that actress uh, to record any voiceover. So they just threw in some Animal Crossing voice. 
yeah, I mean, good for them. You know, they they did what they had to do. They could have just had to be silent. And that, yes, that that would have been the classy choice, which is why it was not taken. True. I mean, why would they do that? They have no, uh, <laughs> you know, precedent for that. Um. So yes, then so then Sherry's at her trial, and actually another connection to an earlier episode. It's the same judge who sentenced Freddie. Um. So they're really they're really working to build this universe in this one episode and no other episode so far um yeah i i didn't i i didn't watch that earlier episode but i remember you talking about her on a previous episode oh yeah because she seems like a maya rudolph character from snl yeah um uh, uh, ooh, and the my favorite sequence um with this judge was <laughs> the judge tells sherry that she has to shoot the man who killed his landlord. And they hand Sherry the gun. She says, I'm not an executioner. And, but she's like getting a good grip on the gun while she says this. <laughs> and then the judge is like, well, you gotta do it. Sherry yells, I can't. But then she lifts the gun higher and aims. So like she, like the subtext is that she wants to shoot this <laughs> fucking dude. Look, Sherry is amoral. Like, she wants to do what Sherry wants to do at all times. And sometimes that goes against the grain. But she has to pretend like she's cool. Yeah. It's almost like she's excited to have the chance to shoot someone. But she's just got to make sure she won't get in trouble for it. Yeah, she, she has to go through, like, all the, you know, decorum and etiquette of how to handle it. <laughs> it was a really interesting character moment. Oh, yeah. And then somehow she's released for lack of evidence, even though... You know, the evidence is the radio show that has been broadcast. Um, right. Which is why this is all just dream stuff. Because it's oh, just, yeah. there's no logic. <laughs> Absolutely not. And then, so yeah, she's being chased by the landlord's wife through the radio station. Um, who's this, like, you know, kind of hag-like made-up woman to look, you know, super scary. It's, um, it's it seemed like a clear psycho homage to me. It's obviously... I mean, I thought it was definitely a man in drag. Oh, and... yeah, sorry. I, I was just about to mention that. I, I misspoke. <laughs> oh, okay. But so th we do need to, like, as, you know, members of the queer community, we got to break this down a little bit. Uh, it's jo it's joining, like, the tradition of Psycho dressed to kill Silence of the Lambs. Of course, Sherry's biggest fear is, like, a man dressed as a woman because she's so conservative. <laughs> this is like, what could be more depraved? Yeah, or just, I don't know if we're supposed to recognize that it's potentially a drag character, but it's definitely, look, it's not, not transphobic. It's definitely still 100% transphobic because I think it's scary that it's like, wow, this woman looks like a man. How, could you imagine? Yeah. Um, and did you catch the with the line that that character, the um, drag character has? Because I, it sounded like you rod my husband. What? And then she said, I'm going to kiss you. Is that what she said? I didn't catch that, but I 100% believe that you heard that and it's real. <laughs> I, this is again, I mean, maybe I just can't understand these voices because I didn't hear Freddie earlier, but I listened to this like three times uh, and I swear this drag person's like, I'm going to kiss you. <laughs> and then she pulls out a meat cleaver. So definitely not the kind of kiss Sherry was hoping for. Yeah. No, I I can't, like, confirm or deny that. But who knows? The, this episode, the audio quality was a little not, not what you wanted it to be. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, Dr. Sherry Gamble, she gets a bunch of calls from all the people that she's wronged, including Weepy Wendy, who is her daughter. <laughs> and the dude's like, Weepy Wendy needs to talk to you. And she says, put her on hold forever. <laughs> Which is hilarious, especially because I, I still don't think she has fully recognized that it is actually her daughter. No, I, well, I, that's what I was wondering, too, because it's I took it as she by now does know it's her daughter, but she just like can't even be bothered. <laughs> but but I, I think your interpretation's interesting, too, that she's like almost like in such a dream daze. She doesn't know what's real. I don't know. I truly I don't know either. A bunch of blood spurts out of her headphones, which was great. She, I took a oh, screenshot yeah. of that. Oh, yeah, it's it's fun. And look, um, that that hair with a bunch of blood on it, that must have been. <laughs> weeks to clean oh yeah poor sherry (laughs) um but yeah so she she hears herself calling in on the radio she's at home now so she hears herself calling herself on the radio which is pretty interesting and then she starts talking back to herself on the radio and giving herself really hard advice and it's it's okay yeah uh i i felt kind of like creative i guess yeah (laughs) And then she wakes up again in the studio. She leaves and in another dream. She's shot by her daughter um, with like a big shotgun. And then she wakes up again. And then they're like sitting on a bench and then they kind of just make up and walk off. And that that's the end. It, it's very uh, Christmas Carol style. Like if you didn't get enough of Scrooge that weekend, you get, uh, you know, another per- another horrible person redeeming themselves. <laughs> Yeah, it's like they knew the concept of the character arc. Like, oh, how about Sherry changes throughout this episode? But instead of it being, like, building (laughs) throughout the episode, she just has this, you know, what, like, one minute, 30 second scene at the end where she's on the park bench and she kind of just says, how about we go home, Barbara? She's like, I'll be better. It's like, okay, (laughs) I I guess the idea is she's been through, like, so much dream torture that now she wants to be a good mom but yeah it feels pretty phoned in and she's like i've seen the ghost of radio future mm-hmm. um she's like you know, it's going downhill from here um she's like have you heard of a podcast barbara <laughs> um but yeah so we're back in freddie's place uh he kind of rips open a fake head he's like she really needs to get her head examined and he rips open a melon with like a face on it. It's a whole thing. Who cares? They they did a, such a disservice to Sherry there because he pulls off the head, rips it open. It is not Sherry's mane. We have come to appreciate her mane of giant eighties hair. And there's just like I think it was like a dark haired wig on the <laughs> body that he pulls apart. Yeah, and it it's it's too flat. Like it it, it would it would not do. No, it was not. I wrote all in capital letters, not Sherry's head. <laughs> like like in that, um, like Dominic Monaghan in Lost. Like right, you just wrote it on your hand and like pressed it against <laughs> the window. Uh, yeah. I mean, this episode was fun. Again, these little Freddy moments are not doing it for me. No, they're not. They're not good. Like they should be the reason you're watching the show, but they're so bad. Yeah. Um. Well, which brings us to final thoughts. Was this episode a dream, a nightmare, or did it put you to sleep? It was a dream because Sherry is camp magic. She's just like, the. I, I like to kind of make fun of these ultra conservative characters, uh, like where it's almost like she might as well be 
you know, she's like doing drag in a way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this the first half of this episode was I don't want to say that I fell asleep, but maybe that one was a nightmare. Billy's little uh, his, his owl conflict and then part two with Sherry. That's a dream. OK. Ooh, I, I like that you're going rogue. And you're fully grading like the separate halves of the episode, which we haven't done before. But no. <laughs> it makes perfect sense, especially because these are such different stories. Yeah, and um, I mean, we need to. Because uh, uh, I mean, it's like two different screenplays, so we might as well <laughs> evaluate them on their own. Yeah, and two very different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I would say overall, this episode put me to sleep. I'm just I'm getting real tired of the dream nonsense. Just with mediocre teleplay writing that's just it's not it's not delivering me what i need from a dream like story mm-hmm. um and it's i think muddying the actually like good ideas or themes of both parts of this episode although i do gotta love that blood goosh from the from the bear trap <laughs> yeah it, it the whole like dream wake up dream wake up is not sustainable and even I'll I'll see in contemporary horror movies where someone like w- there's a dream within a dream and that is just like come on we can't do this anymore <laughs> and I know this came out in 1988 but uh, even then I think they could have done better than <laughs> oh yeah it's, it's overdone <laughs> yeah um and one more time for the good folks out there where can Parker where can everybody find you out on the internet. Ah, I am on Twitter. I am on YouTube. You can just Google Parker Brennan. Last name ends in O-N instead of A-N. And all my short films are free to watch. Uh, I will be, I'm working on a feature length film for hopefully when this pandemic is um, settling down, I can actually get a group together maybe next year and we're going to start making this thing. Congratulations. We everyone keep an eye out for that. Um, and yeah, in the meantime, entertain yourself with those short films. They're very good. Oh, thank you. You you did write a nice review of Winter's Blood. I loved that. Thank you. Oh, yeah, of course. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I'm sorry for not bumping up your star rating because I refuse to give star ratings to things that are made by friends of mine just because I'm like, this is too political. Um, <laughs> but for everyone else listening, if you're on Letterboxd, you don't know me probably. You can rate it. <laughs> Yeah, no, you should. Uh, yeah, give it the five stars it deserves. Um, but yeah, uh, every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. Please help us keep going by donating to the Okra Project. You can donate through the link in the show notes, take a screenshot of your receipt, and send it to w2ptpod at gmail.com or DM it to me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brands and Instagram at The Burning Clem. Our artwork was created by Henry Hall. If you'd like to support trans artists, and you should, you mm-hmm. can send him a commission at henryhall.design. Our theme song is Living in a Dream by Pseudo Echo. Rate and review us wherever you get us. Next episode, which will sadly not feature Parker, but will hopefully feature <laughs> someone who is great, who I have not contacted yet. Um, Good that's going to be called Rebel Without a Car. Here's the synopsis. He just wants to get out of town and skip college in his new Camaro. But she... Will do anything at all to join a local sorority. So I don't, I don't know what those have to do with each other, but it sounds okay. Yeah, we'll we'll find out. We sure were. We sure will, Parker. <laughs> um, before my tongue completely falls out of my head, uh, thank you so much again for joining us, and bye bye everybody. It has been a pleasure.